Two of my favourite actresses have just become directors. So today we're celebrating their daring debuts that show women as we rarely see them on screen. Here's Rebecca Hall on the film Passing. There is a lack of willingness to see universality and common human experience in a story that centres the emotional lives of two women, specifically two women of colour. You know, I think there's a historical belief that whilst those stories might be of merit artistically, they are only, you know, for a certain demographic, you know. And I think this really explodes that. Just the people that talk to me about men as well, like men have extraordinary responses to this. And that I find really actually very feminist. I also chat to the film's star, Ruth Negger, and to Maggie Gyllenhaal about her debut, The Lost Daughter. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith, and today we're discussing two great films you can watch on Netflix now, The Lost Daughter and Passing. First up, The Lost Daughter. Based on a novel by Elena Ferrante, it stars Olivia Colman as an academic leader. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. Who goes on a solo holiday. Excuse me, I work at the beach house. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. On the beach, she watches a young mother called Nina, played by Dakota Johnson. This triggers memories of Leda's own complicated relationship with motherhood. You all have kids? Yes, I have two daughters. Along with flashbacks starring Jessie Buckley. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. I saw you at the beach today. I didn't see you. I saw you. The little girl lost her doll. She wouldn't stop crying. Children are a crushing responsibility. Happy birthday. The Lost Daughter is a stunning film by the multi-talented Maggie Gyllenhaal, who first came to attention as an actress in Donnie Darko and went on to star in Secretary, The Kindergarten Teacher and more. She joins me now to discuss her debut as a director and co-writer of The Lost Daughter. Hi. Hi, Maggie. It's great to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Well, welcome to Girls on Film, which is a feminist film podcast. So we're big fans of yours. <laughs> Thank you. And congratulations on the film, which not only was riveting, but also fascinating from a gender perspective. So I'm really keen to talk to you about that. Yeah. When you first read the novel, what made you compelled to adapt it? Well, I think there's a real common thread in many of Ferrante's novels. I mean, the first one I read was uh, My Brilliant Friend and the Neapolitan novels. And I read them, I think, when they were first translated into English. I didn't know what was coming. You know, it was really early on in the in my discovery of Ferrante. And I was like, ah, I was kind of 
stunned by her. And she was saying things out loud in those novels and in all of her novels, really, that I had never heard said out loud before. And yet were things that I totally recognized as true. And, you know, that's a really interesting experience. I mean, when I first read that first novel, I remember thinking, oh my God, this character is so fucked up, you know, at a certain point in the novel. And then, you know, 20 seconds later thinking, oh no, I actually really relate to her. And so am I so fucked up or is this in fact a common experience that nobody's talking about? Um, And a common experience in particular about being a woman in the world. And I found that very comforting. And, you know, I think I was inspired to adapt it because, you know, it's one thing to have that experience of having the truth spoken out loud alone in your room and the shock and the comfort and and all of it. And I was imagining that many, many people, many women were having similar experiences alone in their room with her books. But what about actually saying those things out loud in a communal space? You know, what would happen if you said those true things, things that we've agreed, I think, as a community not to talk about. What if we talk about them, but in a movie theater where you're sitting next to maybe your husband or your mother or your daughter, that felt like a really radical thing to consider. Can you talk to me about Leda's maternal feelings or possible lack of them? I actually don't think it's that she doesn't have maternal feelings. I think it's more that ambivalence, terror, anxiety are all a normal part of parenting, mothering, and that we've just sort of had to back ourselves into this tiny corner and take up only this tiny little bit of space in terms of what we're allowed to talk about, about being mothers. I think it's just such a tiny part of the spectrum of what's real. I I think mothering includes both, you know, real ecstasy, joy, a kind of connection that is kind of almost unfathomable along with all these dark, painful things that come along with growing The truth is, I think all of those things are normal. And I think if we can have a conversation as women, as people, as parents, you know, that include all of those things, then maybe you don't have to walk out the door like she does. Maybe there's space. Maybe you can be gentler with yourself about all the complicated things you're feeling. They really put us through it, huh? I thought you said you were pregnant with your first. I am. What were your daughters like when they were little? Were they like this willful little creature? I honestly, I can't remember much, actually. Oh, no, you can't forget anything about your own children. Is that your experience? I just mean, did your daughters give you a hard time when they were little? I just don't remember. You okay? She doesn't remember. I was very tired. So, excuse me. But don't bother buying another doll, it won't make any difference. You'll find it. I have spent so much of my life seeing films and reading books and hearing songs that, I mean, sometimes are really incredible, really compelling, really excellent, but very rarely um, feel like a fully realized, accurate depiction 
of my experience as a feminine person in the world. And I think I, I thought for a while, maybe even still in some ways that I'm not even aware of, you know, I thought, well, maybe there's something wrong with me because I'm not seeing myself reflected accurately back to me, you know, and I think many, many people feel that way. So then something like this or Fleabag or whatever, you know, the piano, sometimes pieces of art will come to you and you go, oh yeah, that feels in the realm of like, wow, you're saying that out loud. I actually agree. I understand. You know, so I guess in my film, right. It's not just about mothering. It's about many, many things, but in every way I wanted it to be totally honest. You know, I wanted the way people look, the way people move, the things they say, the way they make love. All I wanted was for it to be totally honest. And anything that didn't feel honest to me, I took it out. That's amazing. And that's what I got from the film. And this is one of the reasons that we exist as a podcast is to celebrate work that gives people more confidence, in particular women, more confidence in themselves that they're not alone and they're not, they're not going mad, you know? Right, right. Because if you never see your experience reflected back at you, then you try to make yourself look more like the fantasy that is being presented to you, you know? But I think the more we make space for women to, to write, to make films, and we pay for them also. I mean, it's expensive to make films. And I've had to make films as an actress, you know, made by women. We did not have enough money. We did not have enough time. If you give us a little space, a little confidence, you know, a little money, um, to do what we need to do properly. I think there's going to be a lot more honest expressions. People are going to respond to it. I mean, I keep thinking about Fleabag, you know, because like people's minds were blown, everybody. And then that truth telling, I think people respond to the truth. Not always, but often. Mama. I'm working, I'm suffocating. Talk to me a little bit about the casting because you have assembled a fantastic cast for this. Well, like, you know, again, I'm an actress. I have a lot of experience in that world. I know what I like. Um, and if I'm looking for truth, I'm also looking for actors that are brave enough to, to get into the, the reality of things. And I, you know, I'm always, I'm always more interested in watching somebody actually learn something on film you know, choose a character that's difficult for them, that's going to force them to grow in some way in order to portray it accurately. I'm much more interested in that than watching someone pretend to learn something. I think I was reaching out to people to work on this, first of all, that I have a lot of respect for, but also people where the combination of this actor in the world who I have some sense of and this role might come together to create something unusual and interesting and new for that actor. And that's true for every single one of them. With Olivia, I just think she's so incredible. I knew for sure that Leda could not be mad. I mean, there are really interesting pieces of film about mental illness. This isn't one of them. This is about a woman who is fundamentally sane, whose mind is working and still has all these feelings. I also wanted an actress who was funny and who was human and had a brightness and levity to her because she does things that are, there's a real darkness to the movie, you know? And so it's nice that the combination of those things. I think there's something liberating watching a woman be quite so blunt and plainly spoken because it's something we're not normally expected to do, right? Right. And as well as so many other things. I mean, 
I don't know. I love all the dirty jokes she tells in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, great. they're not yeah. that funny on their own, but something <laughs> about this character springing out of her mind, these strange little, or you say rude jokes. <laughs> no, we get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And you filmed this in Spetsies. I went there in the early noughties. What a beautiful place. <laughs> the early noughties. Yes. <laughs> As in the 2000s. <laughs> oh, it was incredible. It was an incredible place to work. I mean, it was in the middle of the pandemic. We were shooting a year ago now before vaccines, before we had a sense of a lot of things we know much more about now. And we felt really safe. There was almost no tourist stuff happening because it was October. We really got to know the people on the island. If you look really closely, you know, it's like all the extras in the background are the same extras in all the scenes oh, really? because of COVID, <laughs> you know, and they're the, the owner of the Grand Hotel and the mayor and the head of recycling are all the extras in my film. Also, you know, we shot all of the memory stuff there too, which actually takes place in our story in the East Coast of the States. And um, it worked because they have this incredible old school there. And we used that as our home base and our set. So I loved shooting there. It was incredible. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight, particularly from the gender perspective? Because I think the relationship between men and women in this film are very interesting as well. When you say that, it just makes me think of, there's so many little moments my actresses and my actors gave me that I love so much. But there's this one moment with Jessie Buckley when um, she's gone to the academic conference and she's away from her kids kind of for the first time. And she's talking to her husband and there's just this real close up of her where she's just been highlighted by this professor as having written a really interesting piece. And she says in close up, she says, it was, it was all my own ideas. And that feeling of being seen and recognized for your own expression, your own ideas about the world um, expressed purely. I just love that piece. And in fact, in the film, it happens right after she's like on the phone, taking off her bra, um, you know, from under her shirt, taking her bobby pins out of her hair, something that I think probably every woman knows that feeling. And maybe if you're not a woman or if you don't wear a bra, um, you know, you don't, you don't know just how important that moment is when you finally get back to your hotel room and you, you get to sort of let loose and take some of the sort of public facing part of yourself off. But I love that moment. And I really highlighted it because I know that feeling and how special it is. And she just so beautifully embodied it. I love that moment too. Um, gosh, there's so many special moments in the film. Thank you for making it and for joining us to talk about it. Um, it's you. been a real pleasure, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you. That was Maggie Gyllenhaal. Next up, a film from the British actor Rebecca Hall, who I've loved in everything from Professor Marston and the Wonder Women to The Night House. She also chose to co-write a film based on a novel. This one's a 1929 book by Chicago author Nella Larson. Passing centres around two light-skinned black women who can both pass as white, but take different paths, one choosing to live as white, the other black. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby Dan. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. 
This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? But you dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew. No, 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 not at all. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Passing is an absorbing, thought-provoking film with a fascinating and complicated female friendship at its core. It features excellent performances from Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger. And Ruth joins me now, along with director and writer Rebecca Hall. Well, Ruth and Rebecca, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi. 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 So lovely to have you with us. We've wanted you both on the show for quite some time, and now you've made a fantastic film together. So this is wonderful. Let me start with you, Rebecca, but I want to ask you both why you wanted to tell this story, because it's a fascinating film. Well, it's based on an extraordinary book that's very short. A small novella that was written in 1929 that I read 13 years ago. And I found it just to be incredibly potent in a universal way. It telegraphs that it's a story about the moral consequences of racial passing, which sort of fits into a, a narrative of other stories about passing that existed at that time. But then it totally subverts and transcends that and actually becomes about how any of us pass <laughs> or the sort of how complicated it is to work out who you want to be versus who you think you ought to be because of what society has, you know, what you've internalized from society mm. and the different degrees of that, according to what systems of oppression you're under. Now, as this story pertains to race, it was very significant for me because at the time of reading it, I was discovering and uncovering the history of my grandfather on my maternal side. My grandfather, he's not with us. He died when my mother was young, when she was 16, but he was born in Virginia and he was born into a black family. He was racialized and he was socialized black. And then at a certain point in his life, he made the decision to pass for white. So by the time he had my mother and her sisters, he was living in a white neighborhood and completely existing as a white man and erased all of the history behind him and stories and context for identity. So my mother was left with really um, nothing in this arena, but I guess a sort of performance of something else and that for me was was really I really understood it through this book because I understood the psychological cost of living in hiding not just racial hiding but every kind of hiding you know the film that I wanted to make after reading the book was a film that really left people with this question of like you know what are you lying to yourself about <laughs> and how is that affecting your psyche you're curious is that it you can ask me anything, anything you want. What have you told them of your family? You know, I haven't had to worry as much as you'd think. They were my aunts, you see. They took me in after father died and gave me a home of sorts. Very white, very respectable, very religious. I met John not long after, and as soon as I turned 18 and legal, we got married and... Well, went off and left for good. And you're happy? Of course, really. As you say, I have everything I ever wanted. It is very relatable and universal. Um, let's come to Ruth next. I mean, what struck you about it first when you read the screenplay or did you read the book first? I read the book mm -hmm. and I thought it was a masterpiece. I thought it was extraordinary. And I couldn't believe, but I wasn't surprised that people didn't know more about this book and this writer. But of course, a woman of color at that time, so we're talking about the 20s, you know, isn't going to be lionized by society. So I think in many ways, when scripts like this come around, 
it's not only about like these amazing characters and complex women. It's it's that like it's sort of like you're kind of part of something bigger in terms of sort of shining a light on work that has been marginalized and sort of discarded that's kind of our responsibility now to sort of resurrect writers that didn't get their due do you know what I mean and she just creates extraordinary complex contradictory women who for me it's about being able to live your life as much as possible as true to yourself as much as possible and that's a concept that we all can relate to and want, but it's especially potent for women of color. Then and now. Isn't she extraordinarily beautiful? I suppose. Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? I'd do what I want more than anything right now. i come up here to live with you. think they'd be satisfied being white. Who's satisfied being anything? We're all of us passing for something or other. Aren't we? Interesting that you say then and now, because obviously it does feel like it would resonate with a lot of people. Now, would either of you like to speak to its relevance now, and particularly perhaps the some sort of the reactions you've had now that people have had a chance to see it? So many people have come up to me after screenings and Q&As saying, this is in my family. This is something I've only just discovered, or this is something that we didn't talk about, or this was something I suspected, but knew that it was something that I had to stay away from because it was too, too delicate to um, address. And it's extraordinary and people very moved and crying when they're kind of relating these stories to you, these intimate stories, you know? I mean, it's gratifying as an artist and a person, you're thinking, this is why I became an actor. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what film and TV and theater did for me. You know, it made me feel witnessed and seen and less alone and less afraid to talk about things that are supposedly taboo. Do you know what I mean? And so that's been extraordinary to witness that like in person. You know, I think just because something is set in a, in a, in a different sort of era, it doesn't mean it's not relevant. I mean, it's the thing is, is we, we kind of, we kind of, we really are obsessed with history in terms of an, a linear process. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's this like it's almost cyclical thing. And we're still dealing with the things that this novel talks about, you know, whether it's to do with race, gender identity, queerness, being comfortable in your own skin, allowing, you know, how much do you kind of, um, speak to your desires you know and fulfill them and address them and you know motherhood you know and this kind of I don't know it just seems there's the pick and mix of relatability <laughs> nobody could tell from looking at her no most surprising tell me can you always tell the difference oh now you really are sounding ignorant no no I mean it it's feelings of kinship or something like that you stop talking to me like you're writing a piece for the National Geographic. I can tell same as you. But I suppose sometimes there is a, a thing, a thing that can't be registered. Yes, I understand what you mean. Yet lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure 
to be so simple for a white person to pass for colored. Never thought of that. No, you. Why should you? Sometimes I think you could. Yes. And in a way, if you can, why wouldn't you? Sorry. Hey. I'm asking, why wouldn't you? Who's to say I'm not? It's interesting what you were saying, what made you want to be an actor? And of course, Rebecca, you're a fantastic actor and now a director. What made you want to turn to directing? Oh, I've always wanted to do it. I mean, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I came from a theatrical family, but I was utterly fascinated in film and not, not film because of the actors. I was fascinated in composition and editing and how a story is told in that space and how different people tell it differently and why some things haunt me and others don't. And you know, and I think it's just something that combines all the things that I've ever been interested in, music and words and images. I paint, I play music, I write, I've always done all of those things. But I've never felt that any of those things independently are going to be a profession, but film brings together all of those things in a very perfect way for me. Well, we've touched a little bit on the sort of, you know, dealing with people who have been forgotten by history, whether it's the writer of this book or the type of women that we're seeing depicted on screen. Can I ask you both what you found particularly compelling about this from a feminist perspective, this story? My answer is very brief and very basic, but I think there is a there is a lack of willingness to see universality and common human experience in a story that centers the emotional lives of two women, specifically two women of color. You know, I think there's a historical belief that whilst those stories might be of merit artistically, they are only, you know, for a certain demographic, you know, and I think this really explodes that. Just the people that talk to me about men as well, like men have extraordinary responses to this. And that I find really actually very feminist because to make that story central and universal, and point out that it can be and is because we're humans. And so we are all connected on some level like that. I think that's very impactful from a feminist perspective. Totally agree. I mean, we've been brought up relating to men on screen. So why shouldn't the reverse be uh, true? I, I, yeah, I just kind of took it for granted that this was a feminist film because of the way it made me feel that, you know, she dares to have super flawed characters, you know, who aren't sure about motherhood, who have desires, you know, and want to realize those desires and don't feel ashamed of desires. I'm talking about Claire specifically, um, you know, and that's deeply feminist, isn't it? You know, to create someone who is not entirely likable. Do you know what I mean? And the pressure is when you are kind of lensing marginalized people, sometimes you feel like there's this pressure to make them nice or likable or sympathetic you know and you're like sympathetic to who and it's always seemed to be aimed to make these people likable like it's like a pitch for equality or something you know and that kind of depresses me because it's like we're not afforded the same breadth of humanity and experience as others so just the simple act really of writing women who are full to me that's super feminist Anything that makes the status quo sort of a bit nervous, I think, <laughs> is exciting. Because you can imagine this book made everyone feel nervous. The status quo, mm. other black writers, you know, I mean, that excites me very much. She critiques everybody, really, doesn't she? Yeah. 
doesn't really let anyone off the <laughs> And also, I feel that there's quite a lot of empathy, though, to all the characters. It's not like there's a common then and us, whether it's in terms of race or gender. Oh, absolutely. The truth is, we can all find a way to find empathy about all sorts of things. It's like, you know, and it's the only way into telling a story truthfully and honestly, I think, is to, is to find that empathic point. So to finish up, um, Rebecca, what's next for you? Will you be directing in the near future? Oh, I really hope so. Yeah tons more I'd love it this is what I want to do absolutely she's very good at it I'd noticed that <laughs> is there anything she can't do I'm just like I don't think so. there's definitely some things I can't do <laughs> <laughs> Ruth briefly what are you up to I'm going back to the stage oh wonderful I'm making my Broadway debut Lady M yeah so I'm nervous oh well good luck with that and it's great to speak to you both thank you so much for joining us on Girls on Film and best of luck with passing in the award season thank, thank you, you so much, much. That was Rebecca Hall and Ruth Negger. You can watch Passing and The Lost Daughter on Netflix now. Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Benjamin Cook, intern Shania Pithia, and our principal partners Vanessa Smith and Peter Brewer. I'm Anna Smith, and I was joined by Maggie Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Hall and Ruth Negger. Thank you, lovely listeners. Stay safe. How's that? It's good, thank you. It's cold. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's going to make you feel so much better. Okay, by tonight, you're going to feel amazing. Thank All right. You. Yeah. All right.